What we did in the morning was take up any object and strip away from it all its objective qualities. All that remains is sensing and thinking. This book. Remove from your mind the notion that there is an object called a book. Just how do you do that? It's so driven into us that there's a thing called the book. How do you do that? Look at your experience. Your experience is only of a blue shape. Blue color and a shape, that's all. And so there's a distance, the shape is away from me. Away from me means the distance is also in your awareness. The meanness, this body is also in the awareness. So this, this is the shape and the color is sensing. And then the sensing is to be further reduced to awareness. The sensing is nothing apart from awareness. No object, just color and shape. No color and shape, just seeing. No seeing, it's just awareness. Notice, when we stand as awareness, when we read, I am that awareness, actually perception has ceased. When I think I am the awareness, then it's no longer true that I am seeing a book. Rather, I am awareness in which a subject, this one, and a book is appearing. It's no, no longer I am a person seeing a book. Rather, in awareness, these two things are appearing. When you stand as awareness, not only perception has ceased, thinking also has ceased. But you have to understand in a very subtle way. All these thoughts that are going on, they are nothing but awareness. So when you stand as awareness, in what is going on is awareness only. What is appearing is awareness only. Though exactly you are seeing this world, as you are seeing it, it's just a much more deeper way, a completely deep, different paradigm of understanding this world itself, which you are seeing. Remember, when I'm saying there'll be only awareness, I'm not claiming it'll be a burst of light, and you say, oh, maybe Swami is seeing it, I don't see it. No, Swami is seeing exactly what you are seeing. But it's a deeper, it's, it's a more profound and a different paradigm altogether of seeing, this, of appreciating what we have. It is exactly like Sri Ramakrishna's story of the, of the man who had a, um, the washerman who found a diamond. So in India, the washermen, they take the clothes on the river bank and you wouldn't want to see how they beat and thrash your clothes on the rock, but they make it clean. And they have a rock with which they scrub the clothes. So this washerman, he found a diamond. He didn't know it was a diamond. He just thought it was a strange rock. And he used it to scrub clothes. 
So the rock he used for scrubbing clothes. And then one day he thought, but it's a strange rock. Let me ask my friend the vegetable seller. He is wiser than me. And he showed the rock. And the vegetable seller said, yes, it's a pretty rock. I will give you 10 pounds of brinjals for it. But the man didn't stop there. He said, let me ask the jeweler. He's a much more intelligent man. So he went, finally went to the dweller, jeweler, the diamond merchant, who said, my God, this is the biggest diamond that I have seen. I'll give you millions for it. And so all the wants of the washerman were removed forever. Now the story is this, the parable of the diamond is that, that he always had the means of removing all his wants forever. But that thing which he had, he even knew he had it. But he thought it was a rock to scrub clothes with. And that's what he did. We have that, that rock. But we are scrubbing clothes with it. What are we doing? We are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, remembering, desiring, loving, hating, suffering. All of this is possible because of what? What is the rock? What is the diamond? Awareness. Awareness. We always have that. And I am that awareness. Also, that awareness is limitless. We talked about this in the morning. The awareness is limitless. It is not located in space. Space is an appearance in awareness. It is not proceeding through time. The time is, we are going from past to present to future. No, past, present and future are flowing past in front of us in awareness. Appearing and disappearing in awareness. It is not located in the body. The body is located in, or body is appearing in awareness. All that appears in awareness is nothing apart from awareness. Just as all the reflections in a lake are nothing apart from water. All the reflections in the mirror, in the mirror itself, they are nothing apart from the mirror. Similarly, all appearances in awareness are nothing apart from awareness. And this limitless awareness, not limited in time, eternal. Not limited in space, all-pervading. Not limited by object, that means all objects appear in awareness, there's nothing outside awareness. Not limited in that way, that means non-dual. Because there is no object other than awareness. Nothing other than awareness, no second reality apart from awareness, no second, no duality, non-duality. Advaitam, the awareness is non-dual. So the awareness is eternal, all-pervading, non-dual. This is the meaning, this is the technical meaning of infinity. Infinity. In Vedanta, infinity means limitless. Limitless. What are the limits? One limit is temporal limit, born and dying, produced and destroyed. Before this was not there, after this will not be there. That is temporal limit. Eternal, no temporal limit. Limitless in time. Another spatial limit. We are here, not there. In garrison, not in New York. Spatial limit. That's only the body. But garrison and New York, both are appearances in awareness. So no, no spatial limit. All pervading. And the object limit, that there are things other than this. There are no things other than this. They are all appearances in awareness. So non-duality. So this is limitlessness. This limitless, boundless luminosity, I am. This is the real I, not the ego. The ego is a weak little thing. It comes and disappears. It arises in the mind and disappears into the mind. Every night it disappears. 
So this is the real I. This I cannot be two. It's not two in, different in different bodies and minds. If you think like this, you will find all bodies and minds are appearances in one awareness. The personalities, the idea of different people, it's only when that awareness shines through one body and mind, a person emerges. That person will disappear. It is disappearing every day at night. It's disappearing every moment from moment to moment. It disappears at death also. It keeps changing all the time. I am not the person. Yeah, I like that saying that it is not the person who gains freedom. You gain freedom from the person. Awareness is ever free of the person. So one, not many. There are not many here. There is only one awareness and we are all that one unit awareness. This is Advaitam. Ashtavakra begins from there. So in this session what we shall do, this session is also a meditation like the first session. The whole thing is a meditation on our awareness nature. What I will do is, instead of giving a full talk, I will quote verses from Ashtavakra, dwell, meditate on them and take questions. Then I will quote a couple more, meditate on them and take questions from the live audience and the virtual audience. Ashtavakra, we know, is one of the most radical teachings of Advaita Vedanta. It will make sense here. He sort of begins at the level where we left off in the morning. That there's this non-dual awareness, I am that. Then everything else he, makes, uh, he says here makes sense. Directly. That's why Ashtavakra is not a good way to start Vedanta. Many people love this book. It's very inspiring. Swami Vivekananda loved it very much. Sri Ramakrishna recommended it to Swami Vivekananda especially. But to begin Advaita Vedanta, we need process, steps, arguments, techniques, some of which we saw in the um, first session. Now here we continue our journey as awareness. We let us join Ashtavakra in his reflections. Notice Ashtavakra maintains a uniform level. Um, he just says the same thing over and over again. You are the infinite awareness. You are Brahman. You are Brahman. He says the same thing over and over again throughout the book in 18 chapters. There are no arguments here. There are no steps here. There are no stories here. It's just one thing. So wherever you pick up, somewhere is in, wherever you touch salty water, taste it, it's salty. Similarly, wherever you taste Ashtavakra, it's you are Brahman. So I'm going to, for certain reasons, I'm going to chapter 15. So it's a specially favorite section of mine from verse 4 onwards. Those who would like chapter 15 verse 4 to verse 16 I would say, but it's good to read till the very end. Chapter 15 verse 4 to verse 20, you should read it sometime. All right. Chapter 15, verse 4. Natvam deho nate deho bhokta karta navabhavan chidruposi sada sakshi Nirapeksha Sukham Chara. Highest philosophy. It says, Chidruposi, you are 
awareness, limitless awareness. Your nature is this limitless awareness. Natvam deho, natvam deha. You are not the body. Nate deha. The body is not yours. Bhokta, experiencer of pleasures and sufferings. You are not. Karta, the doer of deeds. You are not. Navabhavan, you are not the doer of deeds either. Sada sakshi, you are ever the witness consciousness. Nirapeksha, you witness without depending on senses or mind. Because you. So witnessing here, we'll explore this. What is actually the real nature of witness consci consciousness? Sukhamchara, live happily, interact with the world, interact with your experiences provided by you, the awareness, happily. It's not that you have to withdraw. You see, the question was, why not withdraw and leave everything? And why maintain the body and mind? Here he says just the opposite. Sukhamchara, happily interact with everything. Chara means move around. So, you go with the flow which is appearing uh, in, in you, the awareness. Now, let us see. Natvam deha. You are not the body. This fundamental first step in Advaita. Now, notice immediately, in a traditional Advaitic setting, when we have this teaching, I would have to go through these steps. Why are you not the body? I would invite, uh, the teacher would invite us to see that the body is changing. Not so? The body is changing. Note the changes in the body from babyhood to childhood. You know, first birth, babyhood, childhood, teenage, youth, middle age, changing so much, old age, changing so much. So, but notice that you have the, the unshakable sense of identity. I who was the baby, is the child, is the teenager, is the youth, is the middle-aged person the old person, and yet if I am unchanging, I have that identity, how can there be this con continuous identity in the midst of continuous change? Continuous change and, con and no change, they cannot go together. Hence, I am not the body. It's a kind of persuasive argument. Remember, it's not like a mathematical proof. It's more like a lawyer's argument, trying to be persuasive. So these are the ways we would do it. We would, we would invite you to see that the body is an object and you are aware of it. You can see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. It's an object. Just like this object. Then how is it that I am the body? The subject and object cannot be the same thing. Again, we would be invited to see that awareness is on your side, not on the side of the body. You are aware of the body. The body is not aware of you. Clearly, the, the two cannot be the same thing. This is, this is a subtle argument. Multiple arguments can be given. And this is uh, savikara nirvikara, changing and unchanging. Drashta drishya, subject and object, seer and seen. Chit jara, consciousness and object of consciousness. Chit jara. Ekam anekam, you always see yourself as one. We always think of, we don't think of ourselves as a committee. I am one person, one subject. But the body is clearly a system, a compound of many, many parts. Many parts, intricate. Some of those parts are lost still, I would say the body is existing. I am none of, none of these parts. I am aware of it. I told you the story about a, um, a doctor in Scotland who wrote to me and excitedly. He says, I have been studying scans of the human body for decades now. 
and yet I just had this epiphany. When I looked at a scan, my epiphany was, hey, wait a minute. In all of this, this detailed scan of the body, where am I? Which one am I? None. These are just things. So we would be invited to see all this, and then we begin to see that I could be none of these things. I am not the body. There are more arguments, eight or nine arguments I can give you, all designed to persuade, awaken in us the viveka, the discernment that I cannot be the body. So this is the usual path where the process is to discover our self-consciousness because consciousness does not become an object. We are used to only objects, the, only, the indirect way of seeing that the objects which present themselves as I, let me see, examine them and see that they are not I. That's what we are doing. But Ashtavakra does not do that. Now we can understand what Ashtavakra uh, is saying. Natvam deha, you are not the body. Why? Chidruposi, you are your awareness. Appeal to your experience. Notice, body appears in you. Just as the flower, shape and color, here, shape and color, mostly orange. Just as the sound, Similarly, rumbling of the stomach or breathing sounds in the body are produced by the body. Taste, smell, touch, all of them are appearances to our sensory system. And all the sensing is nothing apart from I, the awareness. I am chidrupo, see, a direct approach. In the earlier approach, when I see that I am not these things, what happens is you leave a lot of debris behind. You leave a lot of objects. So what you are doing is leaving some homework for later on. What you have done is I have isolated myself as the non-objective, pure subject consciousness and all the objects are still remaining. Now what do you do with them? If you leave them alone, then you are a Sankhyan. You are Sankhya Purusha. Prakriti is still out there functioning. But here what happens is all the objects which are appearing to me are dissolved. What, whenever the moment they appear, they're dissolved into consciousness. Note the process of dissolution which we, took, we did in the first uh, session. We go from the gross flower, object flower, to the subtle shape and color. From sthula to sukshma. And the subtle is merged into consciousness. Subtle is merged into pure consciousness, Chaitanya. Someone might ask, but isn't there a th another causal? We keep talking about causal. Karana, sukshma, sthula. Causal, subtle, gross. The gross is the object. The subtle is shape and color. What is the causal? The causal is nothing other than ignorance, which makes us think that there is an actual physical object independently apart from us. That's the cause of this flower. I'll repeat, the causal, the karana, is nothing other than ignorance. Ajnana is the karana. The same appearance, we feel it's a separate, independent entity. Buddhist, I'm reminded of the, the Buddhist language would be existing from its own side. 
ignorant. That's, it's not true. That's our common sense view. That's because of the causal nature, the, the, the agyana. This thing is not a separate independent thing. It's, um, there is no such separate independent thing apart from the spot of color, the patch of color and shape which appears to you right now. And that color of shape is nothing apart from the sensing, the seeing, that subtle. And that subtle thing is, is nothing apart from the awareness in which it is appearing. Go from the gross to the subtle to awareness. We go to awareness, causal is removed immediately by itself. Chidruposi. You are awareness, body appears in awareness. You are not the body. Nate deho. So the appearances which come in awareness, in me the awareness, do they belong to me in some, some sense? They don't. They don't. It's as silly as saying, do I belong to myself? Does awareness belong to itself? No. That's a strange way of looking at it. It's the very nature of awareness to shine forth in many ways. And here it is shining forth as a body. It's not my body. But in the earlier Vedantic approach, the traditional class, how would I explain this? It is not your body. I would say, how is it your body? Do you have the papers for this body? Show me the insurance and the <laughs> driver's license for this body. Did you make this body? Do you own the materials, the, the earth and fire and wind and, and the space which make up this body? Does the body obey you? Um, no. Most of the processes, do you run this body? Are you at least a driver? No. Thank God we are not. I've told this earlier because if we tried to drive it, it would collapse within seconds. You'd have to call ambulance, 911, yes. So this would be the traditional way of explaining. It is not your body and that's fine. But here we have already gone to awareness. It's an appearance in awareness. And awareness does not have things it owns. Awareness is not limited by anything outside it. So the body is not mine. Bhokta karta nava bhavan. If I am not an embodied being, then I cannot be the doer of deeds. What deeds has awareness done? Well, to begin with Swami, awareness ate a lot of food today. That's one deed that has been done. But really, it's only when you think of our, yourself, ourselves, we think of ourselves as a body and a mind with this food and I put it in my mouth and eat it and swallow it and digest it. I said, I am eating and digesting food. But didn't the food and the body and the hunger and the action all appear in awareness? Isn't that we chant? That what we chant? Brahmaharpanam Brahmavi? What action was performed? Every action is also that light, is that awareness. Awareness is not doing anything. It is just shining and shining is not a doing. It's the very nature of awareness. Sada Sakshi. So another thing is implied here. If we are not the doer of deeds and not the experiencer, in that case, law of karma does not work or apply. When does law of karma apply? I am an embodied being in a body and I'm confronted with the world and I take certain choices and act there. Dharma, adharma, good and bad. And the results will follow. Good, good actions, good results. Bad actions, bad results. 
what will they how will i know you will enjoy pleasure or pain sukha dukha good good bad bad and none escape the law whosoever wears a form wears the chain too wears the chain thereof what is wearing a form ignorance thinking that there is a separate body and mind and i am it then the chain comes upon us but what are we talking about here as swami vivekananda says but far beyond name and form is awareness ever free he didn't say that he said atman ever free <laughs> no thou art that sanyasi bold say om tat sat om no thou art that awareness again not to become awareness we are that already choicelessly so all the time available it is just very new way of looking at the same exactly same situation notice in all the other paths what we saw on friday yesterday morning and afternoon we are trying to make major changes in our thought in our focus in our attention tomorrow we will see what lifestyle changes have to be made all those big changes here we are not trying to make changes that is far below here we are trying to see what underlies all that if you make a change and if you don't make a change what is it that is powering all this what it is that is the fundamental reality the fabric of reality here we are looking at it and advaita says if you look at it if you really take a look at it you will be enlightened you will be free sada sakshi ever the witness never the witnessed now remember witness here means illuminator that which shines not a person who is witnessing who can be called to court later on to give <laughs> evidence not in that sense not not as an action you're not sitting here witnessing things you are just shining like the sun is shining in the same way consciousness is shining what does it so what does it illumine it illumines the mind so the mind is now lit up there are thoughts feelings emotions then it illumines the senses seeing hearing smelling tasting what does that reveal color sound smell taste touch and beyond that it projects all of these as things so this is the the extent of witness consciousness sada sakshi nirapeksha so it's not a witness depending on mind and senses when i'm seeing i'm witnessing depending on the senses i'm seeing i'm witnessing depending on the ears i'm listening or depending on the mind i'm thinking dependent no not in that sense this is independent nirapeksha does not depend on anything sukham chara it makes no demands on you have to change your life in this way or that way after knowing this whatever you do you are enlightened the load of desires of passions and greed they will drop away they have no meaning for for awareness they have meaning only when we are strongly entrenched in body mind otherwise they are meaningless whom to be angry with whom to hate whom to praise uh, praiser praised are but one 
where the praiser and praised are but one, whom to praise, whom to, um, you know, whom to criticize. One more, then we will take a few questions. Number five. Ragadvesho mano dharma namanaste kadachana nirvikalpo sibodhatma nirvikara sukhamchara. He says, Bodhatma. What a name he gives you. The self of consciousness. Atma self. You are the self. What self? Not Dehatma, not body self. Not Manoatma, not mind self. Most people get, they stop there. That we think we are a mind, we are a person. No. Bodhatma. Awareness self. You are awareness. Not the thinking mind. Awareness, which is the witness of the thinking mind and the non-thinking mind also. When the mind goes to sleep, that is also experienced by awareness. That bodhatma you are, nirvikalpa. Nirvikalpa means without any division or without any change. The mind is continuously going sankalpa vikalpa. Thoughts, feelings, options, swaying this way and that way, good and bad, virtue and vice, restlessness and peace. That's the mind. Consciousness, awareness. Nirvikalposi. It's ever the same. Nirvikalposi bodhatma of the nature of consciousness. Uh, what about mind? Ragadveshau manodharmau namanaste kadachana. Likes and dislikes. Preferences. See, the question was, there was a question about I want it this way or that way. Preference. Preference is not my preference. Preference is a conditioning of the mind. Raga, Dvesha, Mano, Dharma. They are characteristics of the mind. Every mind has its own set of preferences. That's what makes it a good mind, a bad mind, um, virtuous or, a, or a, a sinful mind. Swami Vivekananda says, it is that existence first, then we color it with good or bad. So it is the Sat, which is beyond the likes and dislikes. Manodharmo, na manaste kadachana. The mind is not yours. It's a very interesting thing. You are not the mind and the mind is not yours. It's not so difficult to say that I am not the body, but it's difficult to say the body is not mine at all. I have nothing to do with this body. Even more difficult to say I am not the mind and much more difficult to say the mind is not mine at all. Can you treat the mind as an abandoned item lying somewhere there? It has nothing at all to do with you. Nothing at all to do with you. It will appear. Just like many things appearing in a ray of light in the morning sunshine, you will find dust floating in your room. In the ray of light, you will find little motes of dust. Similarly, treat all thoughts, all feelings, all emotions, including Vedantic thoughts. You must be free of Vedantic thoughts also. I remember in a discussion with a monk in Haridwar, intense Vedantic discussion. The teacher was teaching, he's a very senior monk, young, newly minted monk, not me, somebody else, asked this question. But sir, we must hold on to this at least, I am Brahman. But sir, we must hold on to this at least, I am Brahman. And the monk immediately shot back. He said, that is exactly what you must not do. 
वही तो नहीं करना है यू मस्ट नॉट डू दैट यू स्टिल होल्डिंग ऑन टू माइंड दैट्स माइंड इन डिस्गाइज सेइंग सी आई हैव आई एम नाइस आई एम अ गुड बॉय आई हैव आई एम फुल ऑफ वेदांतिक थॉट्स प्लीज कीप मी आई वोंट कीप क्रिएट इन ट्रबल फॉर यू द मोमेंट यू कीप इट ओके यू आर माइंड इमीडिएटली चेंजेस इट्स फॉर्म वेदांतिक थॉट नेक्स्ट मोमेंट वर्ल्डली थॉट वर्चुअस थॉट नेक्स्ट मोमेंट सिनफुल थॉट वाई इट्स अ नेचर ऑफ द माइंड संकल्प विकल्प बट यू द विटनेस यू आर नॉट द माइंड द माइंड इज नॉट योर्स इट्स वाई दे से टू बिकम अ मंक इट इज ईजी टू रिनाउंस पेरेंट्स एंड होम एंड यूर पास्ट आइडेंटिटी कैन यू रिनाउंस द बॉडी कैन यू रिनाउंस द माइंड रिनाउंस द बॉडी डज नॉट मीन कमिट सुइसाइड इफ यू डू कमिट सुइसाइड यू गेट अनदर बॉडी अगेन क्विक रिप्लेसमेंट and god has a federal program it will replace it immediately and usually it's a worse body <laughs> so that's why it's better not to get rid of this body not the body means know that you are awareness in which a body is appearing it's not me not even mine no appearance is belongs to consciousness because they are not things which belong it's consciousness alone shining in so many ways so na manaste kadachana can you renounce the mind if you can if you can you'll be free immediately don't worry the mind will not go anywhere the body will not go anywhere as long as the karma is there at the level of appearance they will keep appearing and they'll keep doing their job you'll no, come to no harm you will get a huge amount of peace and freedom and the peace and freedom also will be felt in the mind itself the mind itself will feel the peace and freedom you are always awareness na manaste kadachana then what do you do nirvikara without any change here vikara means any kind of ill effects um, suffering reactions anger irritation anxiety jealousy frustration lack of fulfillment without any of these vikaras sukham chara happily interact with the world move around in the world in in the vehicle of this body mind which is nothing you know that it, none of it is anything but light which you are sukham chara should we take are there any questions so far one question let us see and bill is there and anybody else is there let's see and to yeah. please ask a question question is from rekha ji swami ji are you using the term awareness and consciousness interchangeably am i using the terms awareness and consciousness interchangeably yes notice don't make too much of a distinction between them there is no clear term for it in sanskrit there are multiple multiple terms chaitanya chit samvit turiya even atman brahman um consciousness awareness these are the closest terms we can use remember consciousness is the usual way consciousness is used is not the way we are using it we know in vedanta how we use it but the usual way it is used is um i'm conscious i'm thinking walking talking and then i'm put under a sedative i'm unconscious not in that sense that's the activity of the mind and the senses and directly linked with the neur- neuronal activity of the brain so that's the way consciousness is normally used 
in medical terminology, in psychology, and in philosophy also, in modern philosophy. For us, from Vedantic perspective, that's consciousness already shining in the mind. Consciousness already being channeled through mind and senses. So we are talking about consciousness itself. Consciousness itself is very difficult to grasp for. It's very easy for us as Vedantins, but uh, otherwise it's difficult because for the simple reason. There's only one simple reason why it's difficult to grasp. And that's so simple and yet so difficult to overcome. Because everything that we are used to grasp is an object. Is an object. And cons consciousness, fortunately or unfortunately, is not an object. That's all. It's very much there. It's most evident. It's shining and revealing itself all the time. But it's not an object. And we have this obstinate tendency and very understandable tendency to look for it as an object. When you, when you are asked to look for anything, immediately look for an object. No matter how subtle. Take it for granted from now on till full enlightenment when you have no more questions. Every confusion that we have, every question that we have is due to a mi mixture of mind with consciousness. The um, confusion arises there. So I'm using them interchangeably. That's why I have a loose hold on these terms, not a tight hold. Otherwise what happens, for example, different books translate things differently. So I've often faced this question by people who have read Nisarga Dattas, I am that. So in that he says something like, at the death of the body, this consciousness is nothing. At the death of the body, consciousness will go. Body is gone, consciousness is gone. He will say, but what was Swami telling us all the time? And then he will say, only awareness rem remains. Okay, now you, you should understand what is he using consciousness as and what is he using awareness. And remember, it is translated from the original Marathi into English. So the person has translated the empirical functionings of mind and senses, which is correctly, that is how consciousness is used actually. That ceases when uh, uh, the physical body dies. Subtle body goes on, but the subtle body will become active again only when it gets another physical body. But awareness does not go away anywhere. Neither does it come, nor does it go. It is only in awareness that these appearances and disappearances go on. So I am using them interchangeably, and I plan to keep on using them interchangeably. Because it's important to have a loose hold on these terms, not a tight hold on them. Then you will get into definitional wrangling. And that is unsatisfactory because no satisfactory terminology is there to say what we are trying to say. There's a deeper reason that no word can satisfactorily refer to it. No word can, language cannot directly refer to it. Okay. All right. So the question is, you're saying that a person can go on leading the life normally. But when we read about Sri Ramakrishna and his non-dual realization and then he remains absorbed in samadhi for six months, the question, the intention being that, that you can't say living normally. Uh, and he, the body just lived because he was force-fed by somebody else. Um, and so what is the role of samadhi in all of this? All right. When I say living normally, not at all normally. <laughs> An enlightened being is always extraordinary. But it may be extraordinary in different ways. It is possible after enlightenment to come back and be engaged with this 
our so-called mundane world, but from a tremendously different perspective. That's why that person now seems to be a saint, um, uh, a liberated being, Jivan um, Mukta for us. So there is a huge difference. But they can come back. Remember, Sri Ramakrishna, when he came back, he was engaged. He walked and talked and taught and laughed and joked until the body lasted, kept on doing that. Sri Krishna, in fact, tells Arjuna to become a, quickly become a liberated Jivan Mukta and start fighting the war. So you can be engaged to that level also. You can do anything. What is the role of Samadhi? Samadhi is the one that, in fact, prevents you from being engaged in the world. Uh, after liberation, what happens is this is so real and so amazing that the tendency is to remain absorbed in it. And so after the breakthrough, many saints, not all, but many saints tend to remain absorbed in it for days, weeks. Sri Ramakrishna was an extreme example, six months. Ramana Maharshi remained absorbed for weeks together, month, two months, or more than that, um, he remained absorbed. He would come to some awareness of the external world. I think somebody would feed him. And then to avoid being troubled by people, there would be a bunch of street urchins who would throw stones at him because he would remain, he'd look like a person in a trance. He went into the basement of a temple, an old abandoned temple, where he remained like that for, I think, days, weeks. And his feet were gnawed by rats. He never felt it. Sri Ramakrishna, his hair became matted and I think birds nested in it or something. He never felt it. So you lose absolute sight of the appearance called the body. You are plumbing the depths of reality, the awareness, existence awareness. So Samadhi can plunge into that and you lose sight of the surface of appearance, which is us. But then you can come back and remain engaged with it. It will not prevent you from being engaged with the world. If you so choose, Sri Ramakrishna would laugh and say, what do you mean you choose if only God chooses for you to come back? Yeah. It is, so Ishwara decides, the Lord decides this particular personality needs to be pulled out of the ocean of Brahman and put to work. <laughs> yes. Um, who had the question? Yes, Sri Dhamma. Right. So the question is about relationships between entities. If I agree that there is an ocean of awareness and yet the language is changing from entities appearing to awareness to entities appearing, entity means things. This thing, this sound, this book, people. Entities appearing to awareness to entities appearing in awareness, entities gaining, borrowing their existence from awareness, then what about the relationships with the entities, among the entities, and yet we say ultimately all is awareness and awareness only. How did we jump to that? Notice that once you realize that the entities are appearing in awareness, if we agree to that, ask yourself the question, what are these entities made of? Entities appearing in water as waves. What are the waves made of? What are the waves made of? Water. Nothing but water. Entities appearing in gold called ornaments. What are those ornaments made of? Gold. Nothing but, but, uh, but, but gold. 
entities appearing in a dream, in the dreaming mind, what are they made of? Mind stuff, only mind. In a dreamer's mind, all the entities, people, they are not made of flesh and blood. Cars are not made of metal. Trees are not made of bark. And, and the lakes are not made of, uh, of um, water. They're all made of mind. I'm not saying something tremendously philosophical here. Just, we all know this. We all know this. Similarly, taking it one step further, when I agree everything is an appearance in me, the awareness, what are those things, these people, these, these objects, this house, space, time, mind, thought, feeling, understanding, what are they made of? Consciousness, awareness. And yet it seems to be something out there. It seems to be projected apart from me. And I seem to be localized in a body with a particular mind. But the body, mind and those things and the space between us, time flowing, all are in awareness and therefore they cannot be anything other than awareness. That's the magic of Maya. We get a little demonstration of this in our dreams. Where there is no second person and yet we have a full-on drama. And most dreams are very dramatic. Are terrors and anxieties and nightmares. With no, no second person at all. If you would know that and lucid dreaming would go on, it would be something like this. Even after knowing this, that it's awareness and awareness through and through, light and light only, through and through, prakasham prakashate, light alone shining, through and through, and yet names and forms are appearing, and this body is appearing, all functionality is retained, then the joy can be there, you can interact, then Ashtabhakra's exhortation, sukham chara, interact, move around, chara means move around, move around happily, so chara here means the activities of the sense organs. You happily see, hear, smell, taste, touch. Knowing that it is only awareness, does it, does it prevent you from enjoying the flower? Not at all. You enjoy it even more. It is I myself. What a wondrous form I am appearing in. Oh awareness, what nice forms you have taken. And when terrible forms come, Oh, awareness, what funny forms you do take. You know the underlying unity. Disasters, tragedies are still acceptable if they are fiction. If there is... Don't misunderstand me. I am not diminishing the, the weight, the tragedy of death and disaster. I'm just saying... If you take them to be real, very good, take them to be real. People feel insulted. What terrible disasters have happened. And you're saying they're all Maya. I'm saying, you think they're real? Yes. All right, take them to be real. Then this awareness we are talking about, Brahman or Atman we are talking about, is the reality of that real. Upanishadic language, satyasya satyam, the reality of, real, of, of that, the reality of your reality. It's a deeper reality. It's a fundamental reality. If one is put off by the idea that they're all dreams, this seems too much to say they're dreams, too much to say they're movies, fine, take them to be as real as you want them to be. 
then Brahman, God, Atman, awareness is even more real than that. The Buddha says, I am the awakened, meaning thereby the rest of us are only half awake. You think you are awake, then I am more awake than you. So all relationships are possible and yet at the moment of relating to this as a nice flower I know I am nothing but awareness, this flower through and through is nothing but awareness as a matter of fact and my experience of it is nothing but awareness, I know that. Yeah. Then we have samatvam, all the good and the bad, we experience the good and the bad, we experience the pleasant and the unpleasant we know the underlying oneness of it all. Our reactions become much more calm to this world. Yes. He's asking, somehow in the dream, is the subjective mind which appears as the objects and functions as objects also. But remember, in the dream, the subjective mind also appears as a subject. You are not only there on your bed and sleeping, that's forgotten. But you are also there as a bill, a dream bill, experiencing the dreamer's world. You, the dreamer, have be become both subject and object in your dream. Similarly, consciousness here, or awareness here, has now appeared in all these ways. And having appeared in all these ways, it enters into one of these systems, that system, as bill, and makes everything else an object to bill. And then there is Bill's samsara. The awareness itself is neither subject nor object. When it appears, then it becomes subject-object. In this context, yeah. And uh, we investigate ourselves as the subject to reveal the awareness. But then, the Ultimately, when the non-duality is established, there's no need to talk of ourselves as awareness as the subject only. It's both subject and object. And both subject and object disappear into it, where awareness alone is left, a non-dual awareness. Oh, it is mysterious. And yet, it's the most obvious thing of all. He says it's most mysterious, but it's, it's the most obvious thing of all. But, and we get a small prefiguration of it in our dreams. A most mysterious, magical thing we experience. So it's the most obvious thing of all. What is mysterious are the appearances. That we are awareness is not mysterious at all. Let us do a couple of more verses. Ashtavakra goes on in the same vein. Number six. Sarva bhuteshu chatmanam Sarvabhutani chatmani vigyaya nirahankaro nirmamastvam sukhi bhava. Sarvabhuteshu chatmanam sarvabhutani chatmani. In all beings, see the same awareness. And see all beings in the same awareness. Realize this vigyaya, nirahankara, beyond the ego. Nirmama, so beyond me and mine. Ego, ahankara, mama, mine. Me and mine, I and mine. Beyond that, Sukhi Bhava, having realized this, be happy. There's a song, be happy. 
So this is Ashtavakra's song, thousands of years ago. Be happy, the happy song. How do you be happy? The first line is very beautiful. Sarva bhuteshu chatmanam. In every being see the self. The self means the awareness. It is the awareness in all beings. And sarva bhutani chatmani. All beings in the self. In one way you can see this. Right now, one approach to this is, see it as being, ex existence, yeah. isness. You feel every, everything exists. This all beings, they must exist. Otherwise they would not come to your attention at all. All people, things, places, you know, even empty space exists. This existence is nothing other than the Atman, the self. It is this consciousness. It's a great thing to realize what you said at, at lunch. That being puzzled me until I realized this ever-evident awareness is itself being. The consciousness or the awareness which you feel, which we feel right now, ourselves to be, is our existence different from that awareness? Am I an, a separate existence and a separate awareness? That's not possible. If I separate awareness from existence, it becomes a non-existent awareness. Which is not, not possible. And the other way around, if I separate um, awareness from existence, it becomes a non-aware existence, then it wouldn't be me. There would be no, no experience at all. And that existence would have no way of being proved. Are you with me? Yeah. It is, but it's in complete darkness. There's no awareness. You can even, not even talk about it. Who will talk about it? So existence awareness is one and the same thing in us. This is what Vedanta points to. Normally it does not seem like that. Normally what our interactive, our empirical world, vyavaharika, transactional world, what does it seem like? I am a living being. I have awareness and I'm aware of existing things. Clock exists. Flower exists, book exists, glass exists, Buddha exists. And those existences are apart from my awareness. I am appearing, I am, those are appearing to me. But they exist by themselves. Even if I am not aware of them, when I walk out of the hall, the Buddha will still be sitting there peacefully, more peacefully than when, I'm, when we are here. So, um, that's what it normally seems like that to us. But when we change the paradigm into the Ashtavakra paradigm, into the, in the, what we did in the morning. All our appearances in awareness, then you see existence and awareness become the one and the same thing. Every existence here is an existence in awareness, as known as unknown. Right now we are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking about it. There are many things which are not thinking about them. They are unknown but existing. And that existence, unknown existence, is the same as, as our awareness. Existence, awareness are one and the same thing. And this existence, awareness, next step to be done is, I am this existence, awareness. I am not one of the appearances in existence, awareness. Body, mind is an appearance in existence, awareness. These things are appearances in existence, awareness. I am the existence, awareness itself. And next thing to do is, I am not a limited existence awareness. The existence awareness in all things is one, and that's what I am. Not just here and not there, 
That's your existence awareness. You say, stay away, keep off. My property, my existence awareness, your existence awareness, no. It's one existence awareness. That means there is no limit to that existence awareness. So I am the limitless existence awareness, I'll come. This limitless existence awareness is ananda, bliss. Upanishad says, it's not a feeling of bliss, it's the source of all bliss. The limitlessness of our own existence. The Upanishad says, Chandogya, it says, Yo vai bhuma tat sukham. That which is infinite, limitless, that alone is happiness. Nalpe sukhamasti. In the limited, there is no true happiness. In the limitless alone, there is happiness. In the limited, there is no true happiness. Okay. This existence awareness alone is in all beings. That's what makes them exist. That's what it says. Sarva bhuteshu jatmanam. I see myself interpenetrating all beings. That's the meaning of the first phrase. Yes. I exist, I am aware of myself and everything. And I am Purnam, whole, infinite. Therefore, everything that I am aware of and that of which I am not aware of, all of it, it must be me alone. It must be I alone, the big I. Yes. Notice that I am that. And it, that awareness, she's saying that the next step is to see that that existence awareness is I. And it should come naturally. What else am I if not that? Which next step? Correct. So the question is, are there many beings or is there I alone? This is the natural next question. And there's a whole philosophical approach based on this. Now you can take that approach or you may take the more common sense approach that there are many beings. That approach is the approach which she was talking about. It's called Eka Jiva Vada. One Jiva who realizes itself as Brahman. There was a sub-school of Advaita Vedanta who held on to it. Prakashananda Saraswati, about 800 years ago. He wrote a book, Vedanta Mukta, Siddhanta Muktavali. The, ge the gem, the garland of gems of Vedantic conclusions. There he propounded that only you exist. The person you. There are no other persons. They are all appearances in you, the awareness, just as all the persons in a dream are appearances in your dream awareness. Are you serious? Then who is that one person among all of us? The rest of us are all dreams in that person's awareness. Who is that, that, that guy? It's you. Wh whom are you talking to? Each of us. <laughs> From our perspective, they are all, uh, the rest are all appearances. So that's one, one possible way of looking at it. Then you don't have to think about, I am in all beings. Rather, all appearances are in me. And their existence is nothing other than me. Even then, sarvabhute shuchatmanam, 
in all the being appearances in me, it is I alone who am in and through all of them. Just as in all the people in your dream, can you say, I alone am in and through all of them? It is true. After waking up, we can say that. So you can say this from the perspective of Ekat Jiva Vada. But if you don't want to go down that road, it seems to be a very strange road to go down. It's called solipsism. Um, in Western thought, it's one kind of solipsism, which is the result of um, extreme idealism. This is even more absolute than that. But you need not go down that route. It's, 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 more lo it's not natural, it's logical. Yes. That is true. Right. If you had said, what differentiates Rama from Sridhama? I would say no. No, no. no differentiation. Both Sridhama and Rama are appearances in one consciousness. But as long as I retain the slightest trace of my individuality, it's good to credit everybody with individuality. It's not like this body and mind, I have realized I am the enlightened being and the rest of you all are patches of color to me. You the patch of blue color, you the patch of yellow color. No, it will not actually, you cannot even do it. You, ca you cannot naturally, the moment, naturally if you impute selfhood to this, uh, something, even the slightest bit special, you will sub subconsciously also, you will sub impute some amount of selfhood to each one. In that case, no problem, you can do that. But do they exist? Yes then one existence runs in, as existence, they are all one. They are names and forms in existence as this is a name and form in existence. As here it is shining with awareness, in those names and forms also, there are minds which are shining with awareness. And that existence awareness, I am, as much as everybody is, common to all, we are, we, we are all that one existence awareness. This is a more common sense approach to it. It's a more natural approach. What you are saying, that, that is a more logical approach. If you radically remain, and you might put it this way, Swami, you said, be true to my experience, my experience, not what I think of is that person's experience or this person's experience. Then what you said would be correct. It's logical. That's why this whole Ekajiva Vada philosophy is there. It's called Drishti Shrishti Vada. Ekajiva Vada and Drishti Shrishti Vada go together for those who are in, into Advaita philosophy, one sentient being, and drishti drishti means the entire creation is my dream, is my drishti, is my seeing, my seeing alone, what is this flower, my seeing alone, then everything here is my seeing alone, my hearing alone, my smelling and tasting alone, and my seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting are nothing but I, the awareness alone, Ekajivavada will take down, and that's a faster route, logically speaking. But that might get into trouble with people. What do you think of yourself? You're just a patch of color. I'll come to you, yes. Yes, the desire for non-dual realization, that is something that motivates us on this path. The question is, do you cultivate it or you subjugate it? Because that also seems dualistic, the desire for non-dual realization. I have a desire for this, which is some already established, a fact. But as long as I see myself as not knowing this, 
And then uh, always there's a, there's a feeling that I must realize this to get the benefits of it. The Avadhuta Gita, another text just like Ashtavakra, of the same level, Avadhuta Gita. The first verse of that is, Ishwara Anugraha Deva Pumsam Advaita Vasana. By the special grace of God comes this desire for non-dual realization. The great blessing of God, Ishwara Anugraha, the grace of God is your desire for non-duality. Of course, it's a book on non-duality, so that's a good way of selling the book. Yeah. And that's a good way of putting all the bhakti people to one side. See, your God, yes, it's good. God's grace is necessary. And the greatest grace of God is that you are in Advaita. Now let's go ahead with it. That's the first verse. The sign of God's grace is your desire for non-duality. I, I heard this verse first time many years ago. I was wandering as a newly minted monk on the bank of the Ganges in a place called Swargashram in uh, Rishikesh, visiting different monks. And I, had, I would inquire, who are the non-dualistic monks? So somebody recommended to me, there's one Swami called Nirvikalpananda. Uh, so he lives on the bank of the Ganges, and uh, uh, so you can go and speak to him. Uh, you might like his views, but not many people like him. And don't talk about God. It gets very annoyed if you talk about God. <laughs> so, I went to him. And uh, uh, it was interesting. We talked for a while. And I found him a slightly, uh, like a grumpy old man. I'd taken some biscuits from the market to offer him. And he looked at it and said, no, I have diabetes. Anyway. <laughs> so, when I spoke to him, he was, but he was happy. The first thing he told me was, Ishwara Anugraha Deva Pumsam Advaita Vasana, young monk, you are blessed that you have this, this amount of wisdom at least. This is the special grace of God. So he brought up God, I didn't. <laughs> yes. Question is, is existence and awareness same? Not at our, yes. Existence and awareness, are they same? And in deep sleep, are they different because we exist and yet we are not aware of it? Does it appear to be different? Rather, it is just the opposite. In deep sleep, existence and awareness are clearly one. Here, what happens in our waking world, if you take a common sense look at the world, clearly you are aware and you see many things existing. Among them, you think these people are there, possibly you will say that you all seem to be aware because you are like me. But the seat I'm sitting on, the floor and the building and the wood, they are, they are not aware, they are non-living things. I am aware. Living beings, I think, are aware. A common sense approach. You guys seem to be like me, talking, walking like me, so you are not zombies. You are also aware. But there are also things in this world which are clearly not aware, but they exist. There are things which exist, but they are not aware. And strange things we have got invented now, smart machines, which exist, which work, which seem to be aware, but probably aren't aware. Which do all the functions of awareness. They seem to see and hear and smell. They remember, they take decisions, they move around. Well, Self-driving cars and robots and 
and yet they don't seem to have, probably they don't have internal awareness, consciousness. So in the waking state, awareness and existence seem to be divorced. Awareness always exists. But that which exists may not always be aware. That's our common experience. But when we go to the dream, then when we wake up from the dream, we realize everything that seemed to exist, whether aware or not aware, we realize it was all mind. And in deep sleep, I am awareness existence. Only that awareness does not have an object. That's why we feel, as you said, in deep sleep we don't seem to be aware. Why don't we seem to be aware in deep sleep? Because that awareness does not have an object. There's nothing to be aware of. So Vedanta says there's nothing to be aware of. You are just existence awareness with nothing to be aware of. Or you can say all that you are aware of in the waking and dreaming, it's all there but in an unmanifest seed state. They call it ajnana, ignorance, covered with ignorance. In deep sleep, ignorance is the object of your awareness. I do not know. What did you know in deep sleep? I did not know anything. So I often say, deep sleep is not an absence of experience. It's an experience of absence. It's an experience of blankness, deep sleep. If it is an experience, then awareness must be there. It's a good thing to think about, the awareness in deep sleep. Because it's so different from the awareness now. Awareness now is fully mixed up with an awake mind and functioning sense organs. So this is our waking experience. But if you shut down all senses, if you shut down the mind, even thoughts, even the thoughts that I'm aware, awareness continues but without any object of awareness. So it's, you cannot appreciate. In Hindi and in Sanskrit it's easy to express. What do objects do for awareness and what does awareness do for objects? What does awareness do for objects? What are objects? Everything is an object for you. This world is an object. Body is an object. Thoughts are an object. Ideas are an object. Beyond all of that, the blankness, object. What do objects, what does awareness do for objects? Awareness reveals, illumines objects. When? All the time. What do objects do for awareness? Objects manifest Awareness. The unmanifest awareness becomes manifest when there's an object. It's easy to see when there's light, you know, like a beam of light. You cannot see it unless you thrust your hand into the beam of light. Then you'll see your hand shining. The beam of light illumines your hand and the hand manifests that light. In Sanskrit or in Hindi, Chaitanya vishaya ko prakash karta hai. Or vishaya chaitanya ko abhivakt karte hain, abhivyakt, to manifest. That which is there but not appreciable. It's now appreciated because objects are revealed. Exactly like, what do my eyes do for these objects? My eyes reveal all these objects. But what do these, eyes, what do these objects do for my eyes? These objects show me that I have got eyes. Just by seeing all of them. I can't see my eyes. But by seeing all of you and all of these objects, I not only see you and these objects, but I also realize, ah, I have eyes and they're working and they're open. I can't see them. Similarly, consciousness reveals the world to you and the world manifests consciousness, reveals your consciousness nature.
Yes. Right, so she's saying that objects are like tools which manifest awareness. If there was nothing to be aware of, how would I even know that I'm aware? And that's why the Kashmiri Shaivas, if you realize yesterday, they say, Prakasha Vimarsha Swarupa. The ultimate reality is consciousness and also aware of itself. But you're right, in Advaita Vedanta, uh, that question will emerge. Without objects, consciousness is not conscious of itself. It's manifested by objects. Okay, what is the question? Yes. Right. Without awareness, the objects do not exist. Right. So. The existence of these objects is manifested by awareness and they, they are lent existence by awareness because they do not exist anywhere outside awareness. And remaining within awareness, manifested by awareness, they also reveal awareness to itself. Now notice, if these objects are in awareness and nothing other than awareness, it must be the awareness's own capacity for revealing itself to itself, these objects. After all, what are we saying in Advaita Vedanta? When you are saying that these objects manifest awareness, and therefore awareness becomes aware of itself. But these objects have no existence apart from awareness. They are awareness itself only. They have, objects are also awareness, because they, are, they have no existence apart from awareness. Then is it not, are we not saying these objects, the entire objective universe, is awareness's way of revealing itself to itself? Yeah. We become aware of ourselves in all these ways. Apart from us. Yes, there is non-duality there. There is no contradiction. Yeah. No contradiction. They are not us as such, but they are not apart from us also. Apart from us is the key. There is no thing apart from us or I the awareness. Even us is not there. I, the awareness. This apart from us is the criterion for truth or falsity. When you say there is nothing apart from I, the awareness, this is exactly the same thing which Advaitins call falsity of the world, Jagat Mithyatva. Because the simple thing is, this flower seems to exist apart from us. This room seems to exist apart from us. As Bill in the Vedanta Society keeps saying, but the world exists. He means it exists by itself, as revealed to materialistic science, apart from us, as a hard reality outside. If it's a hard reality outside, the whole thing will come crashing back again. Then you become this physical body, and consciousness becomes an attribute of the body. I am a body with consciousness. That's the materialistic outlook. But that's not justified by logic or experience. If you follow experience, you will see this so-called externally existing flower is nothing other in your experience than a patch of color and a shape. The patch of color and shape is nothing other than you're seeing it. You're seeing it is just a functioning in, in awareness. It's nothing other than awareness. So this flower is nothing other than awareness. It's just a magical form appearing in awareness.
Shankaracharya sings in the Dakshinamurti Stotram. The first two lines are very beautiful hymn. Vishwam darpana drishyamana nagari tulyam nijantargatam pashyan atmani mayaya bahirivaudbhutam yathanidraya says the entire universe is like a city seen in a mirror projected outside of yourself as if in a dream okay many things have been said there a city seen in a in a, in a mirror you will see this tomorrow when you drive back to new york if it's in the evening on the lights come come on and you drive into the city you will see in your mirror a whole city skyscrapers and the outline the the skyline of the city buildings bridges even tiny dots of moving lights cars and yet there is nothing there except glass it's a mirror yes in the example there is a city outside he says nijantargatam all within yourself the mirror of consciousness don't think of it like an ordinary mirror where you need something outside then something is reflected inside here there is nothing outside consciousness just like reflections appear in a mirror the entire universe is appearing in you the mirror of consciousness don't think of an external universe being reflected in consciousness that will lead to materialism it's the universe appears in you the consciousness like reflections in a mirror the reflections though they seem to be cities and people and birds and trees and parks and roads they're nothing but glass in the mirror there's nothing none of them there are no people no trees nothing just glass similarly in this universe which you are experiencing including this body including this mind also it's just consciousness awareness through and through but it seems to be outside you just like he gives another example a dream in a dream world you seem to be experiencing a world and people the whole thing is in your mind inside you but it seems to be projected outside you nidraya why because of sleep similarly because of ignorance all the projections of consciousness now seem to you like you are a subject experiencing objects because of ignorance because of sleep we have dreams projected as if outside ourselves because of ignorance of our real nature as consciousness we have world experience as if projected outside i am one body mind and here is a world the whole thing is an appearance in consciousness like a city in a mirror i remember when i was a kid and uh, driving from katak to bhuvaneshwar with my i think parents or somebody uh, and some others were there in the car a little kid and in those days streets the highways were not well lighted it was dark as the car approached the city of bhuvaneshwar i could see the at one turn you could see the entire city or a lot of it you know shining lights in the mirror of the car i don't know why that affected me so much because i'd never read this description earlier a city seen in a mirror but maybe in past lives a guru must have made me memorize it <laughs> that's why it oh look there is the city in the mirror this whole universe is a city in the mirror what's the mirror you what's the universe you 
Yes. Yes, the question is that it is true that all that we know is our subjective experience and, and there's no other way, you can't jump out of your own skin. But that's not proof that there is no external world. So this is the realist's objection to the idealist. But the interesting thing to know here is Vedanta is neither, philosophically, Vedanta is neither philosophical realism nor idealism. What is idealism? Everything is in the mind. Just like a dream, this is also a dream. It's all in your mind. Bishop Berkeley, after whom the Berkeley uh, City and University are named, he was the famous subjective idealist a few hundred years ago. Um, and about 2,000 years before him, the Buddhist Vijnanavadis, who said the mind-only school of Buddhism, everything is in the mind. Is that what we are saying? No, no, no. No. Even the subject, even the mind is an appearance in consciousness. You are right. There is no way of going beyond your subjective knowledge. Like Bill Conrad was saying, he, he, has, he has ways of pushing back against that argument. He will say, put that camera on. Let us all go out of the room. The camera is recording the room. Come back. See the film. Look. Objective knowledge, without any subject being present here, the room still exists. So I have disproved the fact that the world does not exist outside your mind. Here it exists. No minds were present. We all left. It's a very simple, simplistic argument, Bill. I said to him, even the camera is in your awareness. Even the fact that we have left the room and there's a room and the camera recording the room is also in our awareness. When we come back and see the camera, that's all in our awareness. And the camera plays its film of an empty room, that's also in our awareness. Every test has to be testified to by awareness. There's no way of jumping out of awareness. But even that, Advaita is not saying that. Saying that even the subjective awareness, the mind also appears in consciousness. There is no proof that there is no external world. Well, then the burden of proof depends on uh, the person who's claiming that there is a world apart from experience. And nobody has been able to meet the burden of it. They call it the standing scandal of philosophy. That today's world is a very materialistic world. And this kind of idealistic thinking is long out of fashion. And yet nobody can disprove it. <laughs> That's the, they call it the scandal of philosophy. There's no way of disproving it. Uh, the famous proof, Bill Conrad often offers this. Uh, Samuel Johnson, when he heard of Bishop Berkeley's subjective idealism, he was not at all impressed. He said, I disprove it thus, and he kicked a rock. See, there's a solid thing, I'm kicking it, I feel it. It's a real world. Obviously, it's not a disproof. You could have imagined the whole thing. The whole thing could have been in your dream. Could you not have woken up the next moment and said, Oh, I was dreaming that I was kicking a rock. The rock and the kick and the person was all in my dream, in the mind. Was it, was it possible in principle or not? Yes. Okay, let, let us bring it to a close here. We'll deal with it after that. We have gone over time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu